Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A woman moves into a house known to be haunted and one night encounters ghosts who tell her to visit a small village in England. And when she gets there, she finds that everything these spirits have told her comes true. Was this a hoax? Or did this lady have an authentic encounter with the supernatural, like many researchers into the case have claimed? Well, why don't we try and figure it out together? Because I'm Peter Laws, and tonight on Our Curious Past, we dive into a spooky supernatural encounter in Guided by Spirits, the strange case of the Snettersham Ghosts. As some of you will know already, I'm one of the experts on the BBC Sounds podcast and Radio 4 show Uncanny. And I also host another podcast and YouTube channel called Frightful, which explores scary tales often of the paranormal. And when I work on Uncanny or on Frightful, there are frequently cases in which people experience strange banging in their homes, moving objects, or on rare occasions, an actual apparition of a figure, a ghost, if you will. Rarer still, however, are the occasions where a ghost actually speaks. And yet tonight on Our Curious Past, we're going to explore one of the most exhaustively researched cases in the history of the Society for Psychical Research. The SPR have been researching the possibility of ghosts ever since its inception in 1882. And tonight's case took place in the late 19th century in England. It happened at Five Rodney Place in the affluent Clifton area of Bristol in England. It was a large terraced house of Georgian design. And the story starts in 1878 when a trustee of Five Rodney Place, a man called Dr. Marshall, admitted one of his patients to stay at the house. Her name was Mrs. Seagram, and she moved in with her almost adult children. Now, sadly, Mrs. Seagram was suffering from a terminal illness, and Dr. Marshall thought it would would be best for her to stay at Five Rodney Place so he would be nearby to attend to her when she needed it. She didn't last long. She died not long after moving in. And yet Dr. Marshall was a kind man, and he didn't just kick the children out. He allowed them to stay on until the eldest daughter got married. But even though the children may have stayed in the house, they didn't really feel completely at peace there. Because after their mother died, the kids would start reporting hearing strange sounds at night. Noises that weren't present before the mother had died. One of the daughters even claimed to have seen her mother's ghost in the home. This paranormal activity was not particularly dramatic, but it did carry on sporadically for a few years. Until 1888, when some new tenants moved into the house. This was a man called Mr. Auckland, and he moved in with his mother and his two sisters. They hadn't lived at number five for very long before they began to start hearing odd sounds too, like the pounding of heavy footsteps and even the eerie sound of splashing water coming from in the house, even though they could see nothing. And so the house did indeed have something of a history of the supernatural, yet none of it was to compare to what happened in 1893. 
when a well-to-do widow called Mrs. L.A. Goodeve moved in with her children. The Goodeve family first encountered a supernatural presence in the early hours of Monday, 8th of October, 1893. It was Mrs. Goodeve who was asleep in the same room as her children when she suddenly was awoken by the unmistakable sound of footsteps. And they were thumping along the hallway and coming right outside her bedroom door. She was startled, but assumed that this must be one of the servants of the house. Mrs. Goodeve was a rich woman known for her expensive and fine clothes, so she could afford to have staff on hand. And so she was satisfied that the servants must be just busy with some mundane task at an unearthly hour, and she was about to ignore the steps when she heard them coming again, and then again for a third time. Perplexed and perhaps annoyed that the staff should be stomping around at such an unsocial time of night, Mrs. Goodeve lit a candle, got out of bed, and took it to the bedroom door, conscious that the steps had only come beyond it just a few moments before. And she reached the handle and opened the door into the hallway and leaned out. She looked left and right, but the passage was completely empty. She shrugged, headed back to bed, and now, too awake to fall asleep straight away, she started to read by the candlelight before she drifted off again. But when she woke once more... A cold breeze had swept into the room and had caused the candle to to really flicker. It had melted down to just a sliver. In that exact moment, she heard a different sound from inside the room. It was the sound of a human sigh. She looked up and felt her heart freeze because standing by the side of the bed was a woman. Mrs. Goodeve was shocked, of course, but she didn't feel threatened. Instead, she said that the woman's face looked kind-hearted and not dangerous in any way, but she did seem thin and gaunt, as if emaciated or ill, and her head was wrapped in a type of shawl. Mrs. Goodeve could barely understand what was happening before the spectral woman opened her mouth and spoke. She said, Mrs. Goodeve was curious and brave, and had a sense that this woman meant her no harm, or at least she hoped so. So when the figure turned to walk away to lead her on, Mrs. Goodeve grabbed the candle and stepped out of bed. Though remember at this stage, the candle was almost gone and was starting to sputter out and flicker. You can imagine how relieved then she was when she followed this figure out of the room and eventually into the drawing room where she saw a new pink candle just lying there on the cabinet. She grabbed it, she lit that, replacing the old one, and now the candlelight bloomed into a strong and constant flame. And that meant she was able to make out the night visitor just a little better. She saw that it was almost at the end of the room and she looked at its back as it gradually began to turn around about three quarters of the way. And then it spoke to her once again. It said, tomorrow. Mrs. Goodeve was shaking at this point, but she wasn't hysterical. And she headed back to her room to check on the children. The youngest of which was a baby who was fast asleep, but the other child was sitting upright and waiting for her in that room. Goodeve ran in to check if uh, the child was okay. And the child simply said, who was that lady? in white. 
Mrs. Goodeve tried to take her child's mind off the question by soothing the child back to sleep. And once she drifted off, Goodeve climbed back into bed and just lay there marveling and a bit freaked out by the experience that her child and her had just had. Goodeve woke up the next day with that familiar shift of perspective that the morning light can often bring. She started to think, you know what, that was a wild dream. I guess I must have imagined the whole thing. So to check on her experience, she spoke to the maid and asked about the drawing room where she had found the pink candle last night. The maid just looked at her and said, "Uh, it was locked. It's been locked all night. So that meant surely it must have been a dream. Either that or both the ghost and Mrs. Goodeve were able to pass through the doorways and the walls, perhaps just like you and I might walk through a morning mist. So thinking of the candle, Goodeve decided that she would be looking for some sort of evidence of this. So she rushed back to her room to check if she had imagined it and she froze because there was the pink candle half burned down. The one she had somehow seen in the locked drawing room last night and was now here. Remember that there were multiple people staying at this house, including Mr. Auckland, who had heard strange goings-on. And his family in recent years had had weird paranormal experiences. So when she shared, Mrs. Goodeve shared her experience with him, he looked at her straight and he shared his. And Auckland suggested that she should talk to Dr. Marshall, the house's trustee. And so she did. She sat down with both Dr. Marshall and his wife and she shared her story. And as they did, they all started to wonder... Is it possible that Mrs. Goodeve had just witnessed the ghost of Mrs. Seagram, that lady who had died there in the house? He took out a photograph of Seagram and showed it to her, but Goodeve didn't at first think it looked like her. She said, wait, wait, the picture, you know, looks like she looks plump and healthy looking, whereas this woman I'm talking about that I saw was thin and spindly and emaciated. But of course, then they all wondered, couldn't the thin appearance be due to the serious illness? that took her life in the house. Mrs. Goodeve was fascinated by all of this, and so she decided that that night she would deliberately stay awake, hoping that she might be visited once more by the mysterious woman in white. And so that night came, and Mrs. Goodeve went to bed intent on staying awake. And she was grateful to Mr. Auckland, who had actually given her a fancy electric bell that was linked to his daughter's bedroom. She was told that she could ring that if anything paranormal happened in the room that night. So it was about midnight as Goodeve lay there on top of the bedclothes, wearing a dressing gown and ready to move in case she needed to, and she was reading by the light of a gas lamp this time, not a candle. Despite her determination, she was unable to keep her eyes open all night, and she softly eventually drifted off to sleep. Until, that is, something roused her from sleep, and she woke up to a shock. The woman from last night was standing by her bed again, looking down at her, only this time she looked more disturbed than the night before. And the ghostly woman opened her mouth and spoke once more and said, I have come. Listen. And Mrs. Goodeve listened to what this spirit said. Spirit said that if Goodeve doubted that she was real, that she should look into the details about this ghost's life. For example, the figure said that she had been married on the 26th of September, 1860. 
Goodeve made a point to remember that day to check up on it later. She was a very organized person. But as she listened to this spirit speaking, Goodeve noticed something disturbing out of the corner of her eye. She saw a second spectre emerging into the room, only this one was a man, a tall, dark gentleman who she estimated as being in his 60s. He seemed kind-hearted looking too, and like the first spirit, he also spoke and he said, My name is Henry Barnard. I am buried in the churchyard in the village of Snettersham in Fenland. Fenland is in Norfolk, about 200 miles from Bristol. And the spirit then started telling her the dates of his marriage, the dates of his death. He then told Mrs. Goodeve that she should leave uh, Bristol and go to Snettersham to visit there. He started giving a very specific detail saying, oh, your outward ticket is not going to be taken. You're going to meet a man at the station. His name will be John Bishop. It was just all of this information, specific information being fired at her. And the figure even said that um, it was her job to go and find out the dates of Henry Barnard's death and marriage to confirm that what he was saying was right. He said that she would end up you know, lodging with a woman whose daughter was dead by drowning and was buried in the same graveyard as Henry was. It was just insane. She told the SPR that there was a, a lot more detail as well, like how she was supposed to get the 1.15 morning train, that she would end up, when she got to find the church of Snettersham, that she had to sit in the South Isle and find the grave of a man called Robert Cobb, who died on a specific date. And, you know, Mrs. Goodhue's head was just spinning at this stage, but she was making a careful note of all of these instructions. But then, during this whole escapade with these two spirits, she was just shocked to see... A third one appear, only this one's face was full of, like, misery. It was mysterious. She said she could hardly bear to look at this one. She never told the SPR who this man was, though she just said that she knew who it was, but for some reason she wouldn't disclose who. But then these three apparitions faded into the darkness, and Mrs. Goodeve's trembling and intrigued body just felt dizzy, her mind racing. Shocked and overwhelmed, she fell to the floor in a faint but not before reaching out and pressing that electric bell for help. And so the others woke up at the sound of the ringing and they ran into Mrs. Goodeve's room where they found her sprawled on the floor and everyone made a note that it was 1.20 a.m. Right, I'm just going to interrupt this episode for an exclusive bit of news because did you know that a fourth ghost appeared to Mrs. Goodlove and I've got the only recording in existence of what it said. Check it out. For snacks, smoothies, and more, you'll find a variety of wonderful ready-to-eat meals with the meal delivery service Factor. Okay, a ghost didn't really say that, but I reckon if any ghost or indeed living being was to try Factor's meals, they'd be raving about Factor's pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals both into this life and the next. Seriously, if you want to eat better, but in an easy way and at a great price, you need to check out Factor. They will send you tasty dietitian approved meals right to your door with over 35 different options to choose from each week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus and veggie and more. It's less expensive than takeout. There's no prepping, cooking or cleaning up. It's the perfect solution for fast upscale eating options. Head to factormeals.com slash curious50 and use code curious50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while the subscription is active. That's code CURIOUS50 at factormeals.com slash CURIOUS50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while the subscription is active. Oh, that's good. 
There is so much in our universe that remains hidden. Until now. My name is Kristen Seavey, and I have some stories that you might want to hear on the podcast, The Hidden Staircase. Whether it's true crime, paranormal occurrences, or perhaps something beyond the stars, I keep all their stories safe in my library. So come with me down the staircase, pull up a chair, and let's discover the enigmas that remain hidden from us all. Listen to The Hidden Staircase now wherever you get podcasts. Mrs. Goodeve woke up the next day shaken but determined to carry out the instructions given to her by, essentially, ghosts in the middle of the night. She started investigating the details that she had been given, and she was frankly starting from scratch because, for a start, she hadn't even heard of a place called Snettersham before, and so... She thought the first thing she'd better do was actually find out if a place like that even existed. It is a kind of unusual name. So she went to Clifton Post Office in Bristol and asked them, and they confirmed, well, of course, madam, it exists. There is a place in the UK called Snettersham. And then she quizzed Dr. Marshall, asking him for details about the late Mrs. Seagram, the woman who had died in the house. He was able to put her on to Mrs. Seagram's daughter, who confirmed that her dead mother had indeed been married on the 26th of September, 1860, just as the spirit of the woman had said. For Mrs. Goodeve, this was proof that she needed, that she was involved in a genuine encounter with a discarnate spirit, and specifically of Mrs. Seagram. Goodeve was keen to hop on a train to get from Bristol to Norfolk, where she could continue, but there was no direct line, and so she went home for a while where she slept, catching up on the missed sleep from a few nights of restlessness. She woke the next day. She was intrigued by a dream that she had lingering in her head. And she wrote down all of these details in her diary, which you can read now. She said that she would arrive in Snettersham at 5pm. She would see a village fair being hosted. She said she mustn't travel alone. Mrs. Goodeve's children had a governess, by the way, who was present in the house during the hours in which Mrs. Goodeve had this specific dream about visiting Snettersham. And um, it was a little creepy because when Mrs. Goodeve woke up, the governess said to her, what was going on in your room? I heard weird sounds from this room, like sobbing and moaning and then an electrical hum. And then I heard something as if something really heavy was being dragged around in the house above me. Mrs. Goodeve was utterly convinced that she could not ignore these eerie incidents. And so on that day after she decided she was going to set out on her journey, she was heading for Norfolk. So she headed from Bristol to London and arrived at St Pancras Station. That's where uh, a station next to King's Cross. I use that station often. And when she arrived at St Pancras, she asked a porter to call for her when her train was ready to leave. She didn't want to miss it. Problem was, he came to find her to tell her the train was ready to go, but he couldn't find her because she'd headed to the station cafe. Frustrated that the next train wouldn't be for hours, she wandered to the British Museum to fill in the time. I've done that myself, actually, uh, when I've been at uh, St Pancras, because the museum is literally only like 15, 20 minutes walk just around the corner. And so she went there, and we know she went there because the visitor's book was signed that day from her um, in the jewel room. Anyway, 
Anyway, she headed back to the station to catch her train and made sure she didn't miss it. And as she eventually headed into Snettersham, she realized that it was late in the day. And I don't know exactly what the, the right time was, but it was certainly looking like it had in the dream that she was arriving in the dream at a late hour, like early evening. And that's what she was doing now. And she got off the train and she spotted that there was a fair going on. The station porter suggested that she speak to the local parish clerk who would guide her own places to stay. And she was startled to hear that the parish clerk's name was John Bishop. Exactly what the spirit of Henry Barnard had told her a few nights before. Later on, Mrs. Goodeve would end up contacting John Bishop's wife, who shared that the couple's daughter had indeed died in a drowning accident and was buried in Snettersham graveyard. Again, these are all things that the spirit had said those few nights before. Mrs. Goodeve may have been afraid, but her curiosity pushed her on and she went to the graveyard to look for the final resting place of Robert Cobb and Henry Barnard as instructed. And when she arrived, she saw that Henry Barnard's grave was overgrown with white roses. So she plucked one and she said, I'm going to take this back to Bristol and give this to Dr. Marshall. We read of what happened next in her diaries, which mention a mysterious and frightening figure that came to her in a dream. It said, Back to supper, afterwards slept and had dreams of a terrorizing character. Dark night, hardly any moon, a few stars. Despite this disturbing dream, at this point she had carried out every aspect of her weird mission but one. It was time to head out to Snettersham Church. And she got there late and spoke first to the church's curate. That's a member of the clergy who assists the vicar and parish priest in their duties. And when Goodeve told him about her wild itinerary, he was not impressed. Not only was it getting incredibly late and ominously dark by then, church leaders are not really known to support any type of communication with the dead. But John Bishop, however, was convinced of this woman's legitimacy. Remember, he's the parish clerk and he wanted him to let her in. And so, reluctantly, the curate agreed, unlocked the church, and despite the incredibly late hour, he allowed Mrs. Goodeve to step inside and find the specific place she'd been told to sit. We read of these events in Mrs. Goodeve's diary, where she also mentions a mysterious dream. To church with John Bishop at 1am, with whom searched interior and found it empty. At 1.20am was locked in alone. Having no light, had been told to take Bible, but had only church service. Waited near grave of Robert Cobb. Felt no fear. Received communication, but does not feel free to give any detail. No light. History begun at Rodney Place, then completed. Was directed to take another white rose from Henry Barnard's grave and give it personally to his daughter and to remark her likeness to him. It was roughly 1.45 when Mrs. Goodeve heard a quiet knocking on the church door. It was John Bishop checking up on her. She said she was done. He took her back to the Bishop house where she slept peacefully. Interestingly, this was the first decent night's sleep she'd had since all of this began. She later dug even deeper into the mystery by contacting Henry Barnard's daughter, who turned out to be a spinster living in an old country house nearby. 
And then the last thing that she did was to go back to the graveyard, where she found the grave of a 40-year-old man called Oliver Neville Rolfe. He died there three years earlier, and she believed that she was going to discover an important personal message there. She never really revealed what this message was, but once she received it, she felt she was complete and done. And so she returned home and she wrote all of this stuff down in her diary. She wrote, Carried out all things desired by the dead to the full, as has been requested. Has had no communication from any of them since. Nothing since has appeared in Rodney Place. So what on earth do we make of this incredibly curious experience? An event that would draw together seemingly random people and places and moments and timings to create a series of events, the purpose of which is frankly impossible to understand. Many researchers have tried to, since there are so many meticulous records and witnesses to what actually happened here. One particularly involved researcher was a man called Andrew Lang from the Society for Psychical Research. He learned about the case from Dr. Marshall, and it was him that gathered a lot of the information. For example, he was able to look through this uh, woman's diaries and at the original notes that she had made after her ghostly visitations. He was able to see the white rose that she gave to Dr. Marshall from the grave of Henry Barnard, and he also obtained detailed statements from the parish clerk, from John Bishop, from the curate of the church, from the governess of Mrs. Goodeve's children who heard those strange noises, and from other sources. And they all seem to confirm what Mrs. Goodeve was claiming, that she really had done all of the things that she said she had. After such meticulous research, Lang tried to figure out what could possibly be the answer to this, and he came up with this conclusion. He said, Of this story, the only conceivable natural explanation is that Mrs. Goodeve, to serve her private ends, paid secret preliminary visits to Stettisham, got up there a number of minute facts, chose a haunted house at the other end of England as a first scene in her little drama, and made the rest of the troublesome journeys, not to mention the uncomfortable visit to a dark church at midnight, and did all of this from a hysterical love of notoriety. To Lang, this explanation seemed just too absurd to accept, particularly on the subject of Mrs. Goodeve seeking notoriety. She had no need for money, for example. She was very comfortable financially. She was always dressed in richly fine clothes. She ran a house with servants and a governess. She had travelled to Snettersham on the train first class, of course. And if it was fame she wanted, well, why did she insist on anonymity when the case was investigated, yes, up until the 1950s. This Snettersham ghost case always referred to a woman called Mrs. Cloughton, or Cloughton, a pseudonym, which was only debunked by a reverend called Reverend Maitland in the 1950s who eventually released her personal pencil-written diaries. She kept every date, every time, every instruction. Perhaps she was similar in personality to her late husband, who was a London barrister, but she certainly made meticulous notes. So for Lang and others, they just felt more likely than not that the things really did happen to Mrs. Goodeve that she said had happened. Well, over a hundred years later, we might never know what was behind the strange story of Mrs. Goodeve and these visiting spirits, not least not knowing what she was supposed to have learned that night in the dark church, something she never told anybody else. But if you want to, 
you can still visit those places today and see the graves that she visited. Critics argued that the case was persuasive because of Mrs. Goodeve's meticulous record-keeping, and so therefore, why was she so absent-minded to miss the train that morning? That's a fairly good point. But for many others, including the principal investigators of the actual case when it happened, they believed something authentically paranormal, as baffling as it sounds, actually happened. What do you think? Well, perhaps you can let me know in comments or get in touch. But uh, until next time, maybe listen out for any spirits in your house that might send you on a wild mission. But until then, I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to Guided by Spirits, the strange case of the Snettersham ghosts on our curious past. Well, hey, everybody, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Our Curious Past, which has a little bit of crossover to my um, show Frightful, although Frightful really goes more for the kind of the super scary stuff. So if you want to check that out, look for Frightful on YouTube, or if you want to get the back catalogue of audio episodes, which is there's a lot more episodes, and it's the same for Our Curious Past, then search for Our Curious Past or Frightful in your podcast apps. Or find me on the BBC show Uncanny, the radio show BBC Sounds, um, or in Fortune Times in books basically check out peterlaws.co.uk find me on social media at rev peter laws and best of all if you ever want to support the stuff i'm doing why not uh, join me at patreon.com forward slash peter laws but until then take care and uh, look out for those um ghosts that have stuff for you to do Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.